Hey there, birth nerd. You're listening to the Birth Worker Podcast. My name is Kylie Banks, and I am totally obsessed with birth and equally obsessed with business. And this is the show where I help women turn their passion for birth into a sustainable, profitable, and most importantly, impactful career. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, and welcome back to the Birth Worker Podcast. This is episode 66, and it is Friday, so I am answering three of your questions in 15 minutes. Let's jump into today's questions right away. They are short questions, but they are good ones. So the very first one is from Allie, and Allie says, how do you navigate in-person clients when you have a breastfeeding toddler who also nurses to sleep and bed shares? So Allie Wow, how do I navigate it with a lot of tears from me and my partner and our daughter and a lot of patience and uh, a very non-calm mind most of the time? Um, I have to be honest, my daughter's a little bit older now, so when I attend births, it's it's pretty much fine. Like She's used to it at this point, but there was a period when she was maybe six months to a year and a half where if I was gone for a birth, she literally cried the entire night. And the interesting thing here is that, you know, it affects me less than it affects my partner. So I can typically slip out of the house for a birth. Like, let's say I would say 80% of the time I'm like called in the middle of the night. Not always, but the majority of the time. So I can slip out of the house and nobody wakes up, right? But then when my baby would wake up, and again, this was a year and a half ago or more, when she would wake up, I wouldn't be there. She would completely freak out and she would cry and cry and cry. And Barry was the one who had to deal with that. Barry's my partner. And so it's more of a family conversation essentially than it is a, a, a doula conversation. It's a family thing. It's not hard. It's not easy. It's very hard. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, one of the things that uh, really helped me was when my partner and I had a conversation that essentially allowed me and gave me the peace to not worry if they were okay. To just say, he's handling it. I know they're fine. They're going to be okay. I'm here at this birth. And just giving myself that grace and just allowing myself to do that really, really helped. And it's actually something that I still tune into and still rely on, like having that mindset. So the birth that I was at recently, uh, it was the longest birth I've ever attended, (laughs) ever. I thought I would never say that again after the last longest birth I ever attended, but this one was even longer. And you know what? They were okay, but there were still times during it that I almost felt an obligation of like, I got to go home. I got to take care of my kid. They're not okay. They can't do this. He can't do this. And it's just not true, right? So he is strong enough. My daughter is strong enough. They're going to be, they're going to be fine. We're all going to be better because of this. And I really lean into that. So it's not easy, but that's what I do. And I will have to say just through years of experience that the hardest times are the times that I leave in the middle of the night and then she wakes up and I'm not there. So if I go to a birth in the day and I'm just gone for bedtime, for some reason that's been totally fine. (laughs) So uh, we release any like parenting rules and we 
do what we have to do to to get her to feel safe and feel supported. So if that means falling asleep with an iPad or falling asleep driving around in the car or falling asleep on a, with a stroller or, you know, sometimes falling asleep crying, it happens. And so we just need to allow the space for for that to happen and really work on our own self-care, right? Which is what we talked about on Wednesday. And self-care doesn't just end like in the birth room, like we, being a doula is hard work. So uh, self-care kind of needs to be the foundation of all of this. All right. The next question is from Samantha. Samantha says, how do I navigate taking time off as a doula? Whether that's for taking vacations or maybe I just need a break. Now, this is a phenomenal question because not a lot of people are asking this. A lot of new doulas are so... I would say like desperate to get new clients that they don't even think about what's going to happen down the line when they're attending births every single week and have no breaks. So with being a doula, it's interesting. I, the majority of my clients hire me at some point in their first trimester, in their first 12 weeks. And so it's interesting. They're, they're hiring me now, but I'm actually not going to serve them for another like five to seven months. Um, so I ha- have to always be like thinking ahead. So my vacations have to be planned five to seven months ahead, right? I have to do it strategically. Now, a lot of people, what they do is they take two months off per year. They take, for instance, like June off and December off. So they won't take any births in June. They won't won't take any births in December. But that being said, that doesn't always mean that no births actually happen in June and December, right? You could take a client who's due date is May 20th, and that baby could come the first week of June. You could take a client with a due date of February 1st, and that baby could come in December on Christmas. We have no clue. So even if you are scheduling your vacations out and you're strategically taking clients with certain due dates, just know that you got to kind of think a level deeper than that. So you have to either build up a backup doula system or honestly just be honest with these clients of like, hey, look, yes, I'll attend your birth, but if your baby comes in this month, I will not be there. Do you want a backup doula? Do you not want a backup doula? Do you want me to be there virtually? I can call in, you know, what do you want? Because every client wants something different. Not everyone wants a backup doula. Someone wants you or no one else, which is beautiful too. And then the other way to do it is to plan your vacations last minute around spots that you have open. And this is, I kind of actually in my life balance both of these. So I'll plan a few vacations per year and then not take clients anywhere around those vacations. And then like actually in June, I have a, a gap where I'm not on call for anyone's birth. And my business coach was doing a retreat, is doing a retreat in London. And literally I was like, hey, let's go to London next month. Uh, I think it was immediately after that last birth I attended. Hey, let's go to M- London next month. Book the flights. We're going to London for five days. And so I do a mixture of both. Do what feels good to you. But the important thing here is that you're just remembering to take time off as a doula. That doesn't mean that you need to go on vacation. It means that you can just turn your phone on silent and not have to sleep with your phone underneath your pillow because you're scared that you're not going to wake up when your client calls you in the middle of the night. So does anyone else do that or is that just me? feels so good to put your phone on, on do not disturb for, for a couple weeks, at least a couple weeks every, every six months, let's say. I think that's really important for, for just your, your mental health. All right. The last question we have today is, have you ever made a bad investment or a bad financial decision? 
If so, how did you recover? So if you have been in any of my programs, you know that good and bad is completely subjective, (laughs) completely. Even things like a good birth and a bad birth, totally subjective. Even things like death is bad, totally subjective, right? Totally 100% subjective. So when you ask me if I've ever made a bad investment, um, just know that whatever I say is not an objective response, right? It's just how I perceive the investment that I've that I've made. Now there have been, first of all, I'll say I don't think I've ever made a bad business decision, the bad investment, but also I know that I'm in the perfect spot exactly where I am standing in my office recording this podcast and all of the hard moments in my life have literally gotten me exactly here in this moment and I'm forever grateful for that. So I would not call them bad. Uh, There have been investments that I've made where I did not gain anything from them or I quote unquote wasted money, but even then it was such a great lesson on what not to spend my money on, right? Or who not to hire or whatever it is that in the end, I wouldn't call it a bad investment decision. So this is way more of a mindset answer than a financial coaching response that I'm giving you. So for instance, I hired one time a social media coach for $5,000. We were gonna work one-on-one together and I hired a social media manager. And so I hired a social media manager. Um, I was paying her about about $5,000 per month, maybe $4,000 per month, something like that. And then I paid for this coach, which was $5,000. And that role, quickly we realized that that role was just not right for that person in our business. And so within a couple months, we decided to not have that person in that role in our business. So would you say that I wasted that $5,000 on that social media coach? Maybe you you could. I think most people probably would say that that I wasted that money. But also, did I learn something in the process? Absolutely. Did I learn how to hire for social media managers? Absolutely. Did I understand kind of what needs to happen to make that a better experience in the future? Absolutely. Like so much. And so I would not call it a bad investment or a bad financial decision. And one of the reasons that I don't have any ill feelings about that whole situation is that I take care of the financials of my business really well. So I'm not over-investing in my business, right? I have a certain percentage that comes to me. I have a certain percentage that stays in the business. So for instance, there are times throughout the year where it's like, hey, my business has $20,000 in its bank account that we don't necessarily need right now. Who can we hire? Can we hire a new coach? Can we get a new software? Can we invest in some way? What can we do? And sometimes it even looks like, can we donate this to someone who who needs it, especially if it's like a, a past student or something like that. And so typically it's not like coming from Kylie's personal money when I'm investing these or even up to $20,000 in a coach, it's coming from my business's money. And so you know what? As long as my take-home percentage or my, my profit percentage or my profit ratio is what it's supposed to be, I'm good. I'm totally good. And so no, not a bad financial decision, just an amazing lesson. And there was no need to recover after because I did not make that investment from a place from from a place where I couldn't afford 
that investment. And that is just one example. There are several examples of uh, training people on roles where then they, they switch roles. And again, you could call that a bad investment. You could call that wasted money, or you could call that one of the best lessons you've ever learned. And you're going to do so much better next time. And you're going to be such a better CEO because now you've gone through this experience. Thank you so much for being here and listening to the podcast. Hey, if you want your questions answered here on the show, go ahead and go to birthworker.com slash ask and leave your question so I can answer it next week on the podcast. We are running out of questions. And so every couple of months, I need to ask you to send in your questions. I love doing these three and 15 episodes. So again, go to birthworker.com slash ask. You could also DM me on Instagram and I can send you the link to ask your question. And that way we can answer it right here on the podcast. All right. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you next week.